So we spent this fall talking about the church, who we are, and what we're called to as the people of God. And today we're going to talk about the fact that part of our calling as God's people is to become angels and martyrs. Before we do that, though, I want to remind you why we're here in the first place. We are here because the only son of the living God pursued us in love. He took on our mortality, joined us in the brokenness of our humanity, and then he chased us all the way to the grave. He did this to prove his love and to provide a way for salvation. Jesus did not die merely as an act of solidarity. He died in order to bury our sin forever and conquer death by rising again. He died and rose so that we might die and rise with him. He endured all of this in order to reconcile us to God the Father and to open the door to everlasting life. On that morning when he stepped out of the tomb, Jesus stood in the garden and he spoke to Mary. Mary was alone, weeping with confusion and with sorrow. And then Jesus called her by name. Realizing it was Jesus, she grabbed hold of him like she would never let go. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. For the very first time in John's gospel, Jesus calls the disciples his brothers. And he refers to the God of the universe, not solely as my Father, but as your Father. The great work of reconciliation and adoption was done. Those who followed Jesus were now family with Jesus. And when Jesus spoke to Mary and called her name, it was as if she was being named for the first time, a child of God, sister of the Son of God, a brand new creation. Now most of us probably haven't had an encounter with Jesus quite as powerful as Mary's. But we're here today because Jesus chased us down and invited us into a new life with the God who made us. And when we received that gift, that life, things changed. Sometimes dramatically, sometimes quietly, always decisively. We are adopted into the household of God and made new. And it may be that you're here today as a visitor and you haven't yet met Jesus in this way. I'm so glad you're here. My encouragement to you today is to slow down and give him a chance to catch you. He's pursuing you in the same way he pursued the rest of us. Let today be the day you stop in front of that empty tomb, receive the gift of eternal life, and allow the God who made you to rescue you. Now most of us here today, because we're here today, we've, we've been caught already. We've been remade and renewed through the love of God in Christ. And we need to remember this, to be reminded of this good news over and over and over again. Because the mission we've been given, it flows directly from the miracle of our redemption. As I said at the outset, this morning we're going to talk about two New Testament words that capture part of this mission that Jesus has given to us. The words are angel and martyr, two terms we do not usually associate with ourselves. 
I want first to introduce these terms to you and then spend some time reflecting on what they mean for us together. So the word angel, it comes from the the Greek word angelos, which is a herald or a messenger. An angel is someone who announces something. So in the New Testament, an angel is almost always a heavenly being sent from God with a message for his people. Only on one occasion, only on one occasion is the verbal form of the word angel used in the New Testament, and that's actually in our passage from John. After Jesus instructs Mary to tell the disciples that she has seen him, we're told in verse 18 that Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. In other words, Mary was an angel sent by Jesus himself to carry his message of grace to the disciples. Now Mary Magdalene, of course, is is a unique character in the New Testament story, but she is also a model in some ways for each of us. And that's because everyone who has met the risen Jesus is sent out from his presence with the message of salvation. We are all angels now. And we'll come back to this in just a minute. But before we do, I want to introduce you to our second key term, which is the Greek word martus. So if you turn over one page from John 20, you'll find our second reading from this morning, which is Acts chapter 1. The scene here, it takes place just a few weeks after Jesus' resurrection, uh, in the moments before he ascends to heaven. As he's preparing to leave, he gives his disciples one last set of instructions. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Greek word witness in verse eight, or the English word witness in verse eight, it's a translation of the Greek word martus or martyros, which eventually becomes the English word martyr. At the time of the writing of the New Testament, the word martyr quite simply meant witness. Someone who could attest to the truth of an event because of his or her personal experience. Like today, in the first century, this term had legal significance. The word of a witness would be trusted in court because they'd been present when the events under consideration took place. To be a witness was to be a truth teller who spoke from personal experience. Over time, however, and we actually see this in the New Testament itself, the word martyr, it began to be used as a term to designate those men and women who suffered and died because they had borne witness about Jesus. When Jesus told the disciples that they were to be his martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, he was telling them two things. First, that they were to bear witness to what they'd seen and experienced with him. And second, they were going to suffer for telling this truth, some even to the point of giving up their lives. Angels and martyrs. So what do these terms have to do with us? As those who have encountered the risen Jesus and been redeemed by his blood, we're all angels and martyrs. This means that we've been entrusted with the gospel message and commissioned to proclaim it and to embody it. And in the time I have left, I want to reflect on what this means for us to proclaim and to embody 
the good news. First, we're, we're called to proclaim the good news. As I said a few moments ago, the primary meaning of the word angel is to be a herald. And the primary job of an angel is to make an announcement. For angels, the message is the mission. You all may know the story in the fifth century BC, the Persians invaded Greece and they attacked at a small coastal town called Marathon. Outnumbered, the Greeks somehow managed to defeat their invaders. And overjoyed, they sent a messenger, an angel named Pheidippides. They sent him to Athens with the good news. After a near sprint of 26 miles, Pheidippides reported the miraculous victory to the authorities and then he dropped dead from exhaustion. Pheidippides had one job, to take the message to Athens. Nothing was going to stand in his way, distract him, or deny him. I long for that kind of sense of purpose in the church today. Yes, our lives are complex, they're multifaceted, and yes, God has given us numerous responsibilities, but our primary mission is the message about Jesus. We're his angels, his heralds, announcing the good news wherever we go. Now in scripture, angels are always sent by God to deliver a particular message. Our angelic mission is no different. The message we carry, it's not some generic message of peace or brotherly love. It is a very specific message about Jesus. Unfortunately, we are at times tempted to take away from this message or to add to it. We tend to take away from it out of a sense of embarrassment, and sometimes we add to it out of a sense of misplaced passion. We live in a culture where it's okay to talk about spirituality, but not okay to talk about Jesus as the only way to salvation. Our world wants a generic connection to the spiritual realm not a crucified and risen king who calls us to follow him. And it's so tempting in a context like this to talk about Jesus in vaguely spiritual terms, to downplay the significance of the cross or the exclusivity of his claims. But spirituality doesn't save save people from death. What saves people is the message that we're sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the message we've been given to proclaim. So if there are times when we subtract from this message out of a kind of embarrassment, there are other times when I think we add to it as a result of our misplaced passions. We feel so strongly about a social, political, or cultural issue that it's all that we talk about. And when we come to share the message of Jesus, these other issues cannot help but share center stage with him. These can be important issues, but when they share the stage with Jesus, he inevitably becomes a prop instead of the main character. The message that we've been given, it's neither a generic spirituality nor is it a politicized social agenda, it's person. His name is Jesus and we need to tell others about him. Now I know, I know from personal experience actually, what happens when you hear a sermon like this? 
Some of you will leave feeling a mixture of encouragement and guilt. And you will start looking for someone in your life to share the gospel with. And what what will happen is you will end up dropping a messy little Jesus bomb on some unsuspecting friend or neighbor, after which neither of you will feel very good. Now, I want to encourage you to take a different tack today. I want you to go home and write down the name of one person in your life who doesn't know Jesus, someone who's close to you. And I want you to put that name where you will see it every day, bathroom mirror perhaps. Then I want you to pray for them and pray for yourself that the Lord will prepare them to hear the gospel and that he will prepare you to share it. That's all I want. The Lord will do his work and he will make you his angel. Now there's another aspect to proclaiming the message about Jesus and it comes out of reflection on this word martyr or witness. So think about what makes a witness different from a reporter. A reporter has been told something. A witness has experienced something. A reporter tells other people's stories. A witness tells her own story. On the day of his ascension, Jesus commissioned the disciples to venture all the way to the ends of the earth to tell tell people what they had seen and experienced while they were with him. They were sent to tell the story of Jesus and the story of how Jesus had changed their lives. I remember the first time my father-in-law shared with me how he and my mother-in-law came to faith in Jesus when they were in their 20s. It was a pretty wild story, and it involved the Pentecostal church, dreams in the night, and a palpable physical sense of being pursued by God. Joe, my father-in-law, he didn't so much choose to believe in Jesus as he just succumbed to him. Their story, it's riveting, it's messy, and it's undeniably true. And you know, it opens up a window for, understand who, for understanding who Jesus is and how he loves us. The message we've been given to share is about Jesus. It's also about what Jesus has done for us and to us. We don't simply say that Jesus is Lord. We say that Jesus is my Lord. And this is how he's changed me. So as angels and martyrs, we've been given a message to proclaim It's a specific message about Jesus, but we aren't merely reporters. We're witnesses who testify to a truth that's changed our lives. Well, as angels and as martyrs, we've also been given a message to embody. And that's the second aspect of what I want us to focus on this morning. And I want to focus in particular on two ways in which we embody this message, through glory on the one hand and then also through suffering. So one of the things we learn about angels in the Bible is that they are almost always surrounded by light or infused with it. They glow with the glory of God because they've come from the presence of God. Now there is no indication in the Gospels that Mary Magdalene was glowing as she ran into town to tell the men that she'd seen Jesus. But ah, I can't help but imagine that that might have been the case. 
she had grabbed hold of the risen Jesus and soaked in his glory. The glory of angels is the holiness of God. They're resplendent because of his perfection. And because they've been in his presence, they've taken on some of that glorious perfection. And the same is true of us. As we meet with Jesus and surrender to Jesus, we become more like him. And when we shine with his glory, we're no longer just proclaiming the message of salvation. We're embodying it. George Ragsdale was a founding member of this church who died about 18 months ago. George became a follower of Jesus later in life, only after he had earned a reputation as one of the most ruthless litigators in the state. I actually once heard someone describe the young George Ragsdale in this context as the meanest man in Raleigh. Eventually, through the long and patient love of his wife Dodie, Jesus got a hold of George. He had an encounter with the risen Christ and surrendered to him as Lord. Now, he didn't immediately become the nicest man in Raleigh. He could still often be kind of a grumpy old man. But you know, when he encountered Christ, Jesus removed that ruthless, angry streak like a bad tooth and made a new man. George wasn't the best when it came to talking about Jesus. Dodie had the message down a lot better than George did, but I tell you, George's changed life was as powerful a commentary on the message as you can ever get. He was a witness in the full sense of the word, a man whose life had been changed by what he experienced with Jesus and whose life became an embodiment of that message. Part of how we embody the message of Jesus is to partake of his holiness and of his glory. It's why our lives matter as much as they do. Our every action is a proclamation that says this is what Jesus is like, this is who Jesus is like. And the only way we become like Jesus is by spending time with him in worship and prayer and studying the scriptures and in seeking to know him better through fellowship with other believers. We embody the gospel message by sharing in God's glory. We also embody the gospel by sharing in Jesus' suffering. Although the word martyr initially meant witness, it came to mean so much more because of the suffering of those who testified about Jesus. <clears throat> Part of our calling as the church is to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Now it's highly unlikely that you will lose your life or that you will even suffer physical harm for the gospel. But you will suffer the loss of friends. You will be passed over for professional advancement. You will be mocked, ignored, you may falsely be accused of bigotry or hatred. You'll suffer from loneliness and from the anxiety that comes from social isolation. And you will be tempted to do everything in your power to avoid suffering. 
And that perhaps is the greatest danger of all. So we have this ability to shape our lives in such a way that we don't have to suffer for what we believe. We can wrap ourselves in a Christian cocoon, avoid those who disagree with us, keep our mouths shut, modulate the message of Jesus down to a generic spirituality, and avoid the commitment to personal holiness that makes us stand out in a crowd. Do not give in to this temptation. Do not run from suffering. Because by running from suffering, you turn your back on love. True love is the willingness to suffer for the sake of another. True love is when we lay down our lives for our friends, even and especially those friends who might just be the cause of our suffering. We must remember the gospel we've been given to proclaim and to embody that the Son of God himself became one of us so that he could save us by suffering for us. We don't suffer for duty's sake. We suffer for love's sake. And suffering is part of what it means for us to be angels and martyrs. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this calling and this invitation to us to be angels and martyrs, to proclaim and embody the gospel. Oh, give us grace to fulfill this mission. And would you especially give us strength to embrace and to endure the suffering to which you call us to, that it might be an emblem of your love for the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.